walked into the Ritz that day, I was queasy and exhausted. I had spent the previous evening at the St. Regis with an aging Italian art dealer who liked to talk about enemas while Taylor and I made out. Taylor was my only real friend. She was the one person I had sort of standing on the side of the wall between me and the rest of polite society who was not having sex for money. Taylor and I walked into the lobby of the Ritz the way we always did. Confident, conservative, purposeful. I had perfected the art of not looking anyone in the eye as we walked toward the elevators. It could trip me up sometimes how people looked at me, always so impressed with their own street smarts because they had spotted the hooker in the fancy hotel. She said, come with me to this audition. A friend of mine from L.A. is in town, and she's auditioning people to go and entertain these rich businessmen in Singapore, to go to their parties and hostess, and you'll get $20,000 for two weeks of work. I wasn't scared to go to the audition, although when you work for an escort agency, there are certain protections. What if they peddle us to some third-world brothel, I asked in the elevator. You're always so negative. (laughs) And we go to this room and there were six or seven women. I looked around and I clocked the other women and I figured there were one or two duds that I wasn't worried about. There were one or two that looked like stiff competition. And then there was this one anomaly and she had these crazy long acrylic nails. And I did not think she was the competition at all. I thought there was no way because she was so trashy. We went around and introduced ourselves and she said her name was Destiny. It's on my license. I wasn't sure if I wanted the job because it seemed kind of sketchy, but my competitive spirit really kicked in. I wanted to get it. I wasn't sure if I wanted to accept it, but I wanted to get it. So we went in and this woman, she looked so wholesome, introduced herself. She did not look much older than me. And and she started to interview us. Have you traveled at all outside the country? I thought I should leave out, you know, my family trip to Israel. Instead, I said, you know, that I had been to the Cayman Islands and that I was saving my money to go to Paris. And I was. All I wanted in life was, well, yes, I wanted to be a famous actress, but other than that, uh, I wanted to go to Paris. wow, this seems so wholesome, like we're being interviewed for the Peace Corps or something. And then they were like, oh, and go in the next room and let that guy take your pictures in your underwear. Oh, yeah, that's great. And he said, oh, and and here's my card for later in case you want headshots at a good rate. Perfect. That's the shot. I figured nothing was going to come of it. I thought, oh, it's just another afternoon in another hotel room in my underwear. And then she called me a week later telling me that I had been selected, along with Destiny. Destiny, of the fingerless gloves, not Taylor. Ari went on to explain that she didn't work for a Singaporean businessman at all. The parties I was to be attending would be thrown by Prince Jeffrey, the youngest brother of the Sultan of Brunei. 
I would be his personal guest. To which I responded, Where? <laughs> I had never even heard of Brunei. So I went to the library. I think that one of the books that I read was called The Richest Man in the World, The Sultan of Brunei. And uh, and he was. At that time, he was the richest man in the world. He had $40 billion. And Prince Jeffrey was his youngest brother. I knew that there was a chance that I, you know, the plane would land and I'd wind up chained to a bear mattress somewhere addicted to heroin. But I had an intuitive feeling. And the next day, I flew to Brunei. I realized only later the full import of the fact that, you know, we were the clandestine guests of a foreign government. They took us to a a palace. It was a walled compound that looked like a resort in Fort Lauderdale as imagined by Aladdin, is what I thought. One of the other girls turned to me and she said, it's all real, you know. And I said, it's real what? And she said, it's real. It's all real. Like the gold in the carpet is real gold. Those rubies are real rubies. You know, the, they were the size of tennis balls in these tiger's mouths. And I looked and I saw what looked like a Picasso painting across the foyer. And I thought, wow, I, I bet that that's real too. And we got ready for the party. I had dressed in my best vintage ensemble and decorated my eyes with thick strokes of liquid liner. Party is about 40 or so beautiful women from all over the world, and they're hanging out singing karaoke. And all the girls would dance. The men wouldn't dance. The girls would dance together. So I, I, I'm there at the party, and the prince arrives. And he showed up at the parties every night wearing clothes that he played squash in. You know, he was very informal, and all the rest of the women were in evening gown. And he was very charismatic. He had a a charisma that just swept into the room before he even entered. He was a little short, but (laughs) handsome. And uh, and I sang his favorite song. I, I learned a song in Malay overnight. Kasi Dengarla As I passed the prince and bowed on my way back to my seat, he reached out and grabbed my arm. He took my hand between both of his, dry and soft and perfectly manicured, and said, beautiful. Then he let go. This crumb of approval should have meant nothing to me, but I must have been brainwashed because one Midas touch from the prince and I glowed all night. He was charmed somehow and, um, and he took an interest in me and, uh, and after that I, I became his mistress and, uh, and I stayed. We definitely had the electricity at first, but it was a situation that really wore on me.
all the money in the world didn't make the prince happy. He was a fairly miserable guy. He didn't want for gold bathroom fixtures. He didn't want for yachts or airplanes or women or Maseratis. And he still couldn't figure out how to get a good night's sleep or how to have a real friend that he trusted. The prince didn't send me home. I, I chose to go home. I got out of there because it was not making me happy. I was done, he was done, we were sick of each other. It was just time. People often ask me what was my best moment in Brunei. You know, my best moment in Brunei happened before anything happened, when it was just all hope. I woke up at like four in the morning. I was so jet lagged and I walked out onto the balcony. The light in Southeast Asia is just incredible at dawn and at dusk. It's like this deep blue purple. There were still a few stars out and I imagined that I had this whole ocean of possibilities in front of me and, uh, and that I was exactly where I had been waiting to be for so long. Jillian Lauren has a book out about her time in Brunei called Some Girls, My Life in a Harem. She now lives in L.A. with her husband and son, and we'll have a link on our site. You are listening to Snap Judgment, and to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.